0: You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is version 71 of the show. It's another good episode for you. We're going to recap uh, a major championship in golf, it's the first one of the season. We'll go through all that. Major League Baseball has officially concluded opening day and opening weekend, so we'll go through some highlights from there. The NHL season is quickly winding down, and of course the NBA season just officially ended, and we've reached the playoffs. The play-in tournament will be taking place here this week, so we'll get into that and look at how all that is going to shape out. We'll do some predictions for the first round. But we are going to start off in the PGA Tour This past weekend's tournament was the first major championship of the year, was the Masters. That's held at the Augusta National Golf Course in Augusta, Georgia. Par 72, distance 7,510 yards. This is the most prestigious course on tour, certainly one of the most iconic. Had a few differences uh, this year in terms of adding some length to some holes. The par 4 11th hole played 15 yards longer than usual at 520 instead of 505 and then the par 5 15th hole was 20 yards longer than we've seen playing at 550 yards instead of 530 the field itself is obviously one of the best we'll see all year it's a major championship so we get nothing but the best but the highlight of the field was none other none other than one tiger woods who returned to action after 508 days in between his last competitive rounds Uh, which his last competitive round was the 2020 Masters final round. 508 days later, he took the course again in the opening round of the 2022 Masters. So that was the longest span between starts in Tiger Woods' career. Tiger did play in the PNC Championship earlier this year, but that didn't count as a competitive round since he played with his son Charlie, just the format of that tournament. And then last year's winner, Hideki Matsuyama, won with a score of 10 under par, which we'll get to see again here shortly. That was the highest winning score since 2017. There were some big storylines coming into this uh, Masters, and all of which seemed to rear their head at some point during this weekend's tournament. The first, you know, Cameron Smith, he won the Players' Championship about a month or so ago, a month and a half ago, and he was looking to become only the second player in tour history to win both the players and the Masters in the same season. He would have joined Tiger Woods if he was able to do that. Rory McIlroy, this is seeming to be his uh, 100th attempt at the career grand slam of the majors, uh, but it was only his eighth start here at Augusta, and uh, we'll see. He missed the cut the week prior, so we wanted to see how he would come out and play. And then Colin Morikawa, he was looking to become the first person since Jordan Spieth in 2015 to win back-to-back majors, Okay, dating back to last summer's Open Championship, which was our last major. So Morikawa had something on the line there. And then, of course, Scotty Scheffler. The dude has been hotter than a fox in a forest fire, won three out of his last five events uh, that he's played in, securing the number one overall ranking in the world golf rankings. Um and so, there you know, all four of those guys we'll talk about here in a minute. Um, the Masters itself, though, really wasn't um, entertaining. To I mean, like the first day and a half, uh, Scotty Scheffler got a five shot lead after 36 holes, which was tied for the largest 36 hole lead in Masters history. I mean, this thing seemed to be wrapped up after the second round. The weather itself was brutal. Uh, it wasn't real sunny overall. We did have some sunshine on Thursday and kind of periodically came and, and went throughout the week, but uh, there were cooler temps and a lot of wind, so it made scoring uh, come at a premium. In fact, the the final, the final standings, uh, final uh, scores, there were only nine golfers that finished under par and only two others that were at even par, so 11 golfers total were at even par or better for the entire tournament. Uh, we did have some big names miss the cut in this thing, too. The cut line was high. I think it was at plus four. And some names to miss were Jordan Spieth, Brooks Kepka, Bryson DeChambeau, all of which are major champions, and then Xander Schauffele. Might be the best golfer without a major championship at this particular point. So we did see some some heavy-hitting names miss the cut. Um Tiger Woods did miss, or did, did play, uh, did make the cut for the 22nd consecutive time at the Masters, which is uh, you know, obviously a record of itself. So Tiger did make the cut. His weekend rounds were, were miserable. We'll get into those in a second. But uh, in the end, it was Scotty Scheffler who came out on top to win his first Masters and his first career major championship. It was his fourth victory in his last six starts. It was actually his fourth victory uh, in the last 57 days, which is the shortest span for four victories in PGA Tour history. Uh, those were all, all four of those wins were his first four wins on tour. So he's he's won in bunches. All it took was to get that first one. He did that, and now he can't stop winning. He's the fifth player in tour history to have all four of his first four wins come in the same season, and he's only the third player ever to win the Masters at age 25 or younger, joining Tiger Woods in 1997 and 2001, and then Jordan Spieth in 2015. So uh, just an absolutely incredible performance again by Scotty Scheffler. Scotty is actually a local product here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. He went to Highland Park High School, which is here in Dallas. It's a powerhouse of elite athletic talent, always have good teams in every single sport, And in the last three years, there have been three Highland Park alumni that have won uh, a championship. A couple years ago, Clayton Kershaw won the World Series with the Los Angeles Dodgers. He uh, graduated in 2006 from Highland Park High School. And his baseball teammate at Highland Park was none other than Matthew Stafford, who just won a Super Bowl championship this past year with the Los Angeles Rams. They both uh, were teammates in, at Highland Park in baseball. And then uh, Scotty Scheffler now, major champion, master's winner, uh, graduated from Highland Park in 2014. So the last three years, we've seen three champions come from Highland Park High School here in Dallas. Not a bad resume for Highland Park. Uh, but the golf itself, I told you Scotty Scheffler's your winner. He won with a score of 10 under par, uh, and he did so... Uh, with two very impressive rounds, he opened at 3-under 69 and then followed that up on Friday with a 5-under 67 to give him a 5-shot lead heading into the weekend. Both of his weekend rounds were 1-under 71s, which was good enough for a 3-shot victory over Rory McIlroy, who finished at 7-under par. Now, Rory was only up there in solo second because of his Sunday round, which he just absolutely obliterated. Uh, Set the Masters course record with an 8-under 64. Bogey free. He finished out uh, with a a hole out from the bunker on 18, which his his playing partner, Colin Morikawa, did just a minute after him. Same same bunker, same hole out uh, on 18. Pretty cool stuff there. But if Rory would have played, uh, this is obviously the closest he's been to winning the Masters and completing that career grand slam of winning all four major championships at some point in his career. But if Rory would have played Saturday's round like he did uh, Sunday, uh, this thing wouldn't have been close. Uh, Rory did actually shoot one over par in both of his first two rounds. So a uh, pretty good tournament for Rory. Made it a little interesting there late. He kind of ran out of holes. But uh, there was a two-way tie for third. Shane Lowry and Cameron Smith both finished at five under par. Now, Cameron Smith was in that final pair with Scotty Scheffler on Sunday, uh, started the round three shots back of Scheffler. Scheffler uh, parred the first two holes. Cameron Smith birdied the first two holes. So after two, the lead was only one. Uh, Scheffler was at nine under. Cameron Smith was at eight under. And then things kind of went haywire for Smith. He bogeyed the next two holes while Scheffler birdied one of them, got the lead uh, back up to four. Uh, shots, and then Cameron Smith ran into a big pile of trouble there on twelve, that par three. He ended up triple bogeying after he plunked his tee shot in the water, sailed his third shot over the green, and that was the end of Cameron Smith. Uh, his his tournament ended there on hole twelve on Sunday. But out of all that, he still only finished uh, two over or one over par on Sunday, but that was enough to send him down to five shots behind Scheffler. Uh, Colin Morikawa, right? He finished solo fifth at four under par. He had a great round on Sunday, five under 67, including that hole out that I mentioned from the bunker on 18, right after Rory did. Another good round from Morikawa. Now, those storylines that I just talked about, I've already listed all four of those golfers in the top five. All right, those storylines I had mentioned last week, all four of those guys uh, really came to play this week. There was a two-way tie for sixth at three under par, Will Zalatoris and Corey Connors. Zalatoris also shot five under 67 on Sunday to follow up his solo second here last year. And The way that Zalatoris' career is going, I certainly see him uh, winning a major championship and quite possibly a green jacket here at the Masters with the way that he's played the last two years. Uh, Justin Thomas and Sung J.M. were tied for 8th at 1 under par, and then tied for 10th Cameron Champ and Charles Schwartzel, both at even par. So those are your 11 golfers that were even par or better. Everybody else was over par. Now, I would be remiss if I did not mention Scotty Scheffler, he won by 3 shots. However, uh, he came up to that par 4 18th, kind of had an a errant tee shot, got on the green in 2, Impressive second shot, and then he proceeded to four putt, four putts to make double bogey there on eighteen. All right, and uh you know, Scheffler his his first putt kind of went past the hole a little bit. He missed the comebacker, and then missed the one after that before finally tapping it in for a double bogey. But uh, I do think that if the pressure kind of got to him there, I think he was ready. He knew he was going to win. He just wanted to get his green jacket, didn't really maybe have the same focus that he had had throughout the tournament because that was his one and only double bogey of the tournament. So, uh, But that was just interesting to see. Instead of winning by five shots with a par, he won by three shots with a double bogey at the end there. So uh, I've, I definitely needed to make note of that. Um, his reaction after that second miss putt was, was pretty funny. Maybe it was the third miss putt. It was pretty funny. He had, he had to take a step back just to kind of regroup. Uh, But then Tiger Woods, I mentioned him. He finished all the way down at 47th, which was uh, fifth worst. He finished at plus 13. He actually opened one under, 71, uh, Friday's round, which was good. Uh, That scoring was at a premium there on on Thursday. and That one under sat him pretty good. Then he went two over on Friday, and then he finished the weekend with back-to-back rounds of six over 78s. So he went 12 over in his weekend rounds, Absolutely horrible, and uh, you could tell he was kind of, maybe his leg was a little fatigued. He kind of had a noticeable limp there towards the the later stages of of the weekend. But the fact that he went out there and at least was legitimately competing for two rounds uh, was was very solid. Tiger Woods is already committed to play in the Open Championship in July in St. Andrews, which he said is his favorite golf course. I'm sure he'll be able to participate or will choose to participate in at least another event or two before then. But uh, nonetheless, it was good to see Tiger out there, and uh, he was somewhat in the hunt for at least uh, the first round and part of the second round. But that brings us to this weekend's tournament, which is the RBC Heritage. That's at the Harbortown Golf Links in Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. It's a par 71, distance is 7,121 yards, so a little shorter than Augusta. Uh, this course is very challenging, though. Uh, it has some tight fairways. You have big, overhanging, mossy oak trees in the fairways, and then, of course, you have some strategically placed fairway bunkers. And then you combine that with the fact that the greens here at Harbortown are very small and very contoured, so there's not a whole lot of flat putting surfaces. And then you mix all of that with the fact that this course simply is placed on the ocean, so there's going to be some wind. Right, Wind is definitely going to be a factor like it was last week at Augusta, but it's a different kind of wind because it's an ocean breeze. Right, So it can swirl, change direction, uh, and it's certainly going to play a factor. Normally, what the field that we see for these tournaments immediately following a major championship are not as solid. A lot of the big-name players uh, do well in majors, so they take that next week off. That's not the case this week here at Harbortown. There's some big-name golfers. A lot of top 10, top 20 golfers in the field are going to be out there, including Justin Thomas, Cameron Smith, Patrick Cantlay, Colin Morikawa, Dustin Johnson, and Jordan Spieth. All right, so certainly look for any of those guys to do well and finish near the top of the leaderboard. Uh, but when I hear difficult putting surfaces like I do here at Harbortown, I immediately think Cameron Smith. Uh, the way that he's been putting, he's become the best putter on tour, certainly uh, in this season, you got to think Cam Smith is going to do well uh, on these small greens that have, uh, you know, that are very uneven and not flat. Uh, the way that Smith has been putting, I'd like for Cam Smith to compete this week, and then I also like Shane Lowry this week to come on strong. He's been playing really well as of late. Uh, definitely, his name was up near the top of the leaderboard for at least the last two and a half rounds there at Augusta. Finished T three last week. He's used to the swirling winds. He's from Northern Ireland, so he's played a lot of, uh, a lot of golf and in some not ideal weather. So uh, the way that he's been playing, he's historically played well here at Harbour Town as well. So, I like for Shane Lowry and Cam Smith to uh, to be near the top of the leaderboard when this thing's all said and done. But uh, I will be tuned in this week to the RBC Heritage, uh, certainly, especially with the field. It's probably an above-average field for the week after a major championship. So, um, you know, last week it wasn't as competitive as we all probably would have hoped just due to Scheffler's huge lead. But I do think we're back on the, uh, the competitive train this week here at Harbortown, especially with how many big-name players we got out there. So uh, if you like golf, I know you'll be tuned in just as I will be. But we'll move on to Major League Baseball, and the MLB is officially in session Opening day uh, was last week, opening weekend was this past weekend, so we're, uh, we're through both of those. We're not going to do a standings update quite yet, just because teams have only played four and five games, so there's not quite a need to do that just yet, but we will go over some storylines that uh, kind of headline how opening day and opening weekend went, and um, opening day itself produced two walk-off wins both of which were delivered by players who were making their team debuts. So the Detroit Tigers shortstop Javier Baez had a walk-off single to give the Tigers a win. And the New York Yankees third baseman Josh Donaldson, he also had a walk-off single to give his team the victory over the Boston Red Sox. So uh, we had two two walk-off wins there, both by new players. We also, over the course of opening weekend, We had a couple of bench-clearing incidents. There were no fights or brawls, but uh, in two different games, the benches cleared, and they both revolved around uh, batters getting hit by a pitch. The first one was the New York Mets and the Washington Nationals. This was in the second game of the year. Uh, The benches cleared after Mets shortstop Francisco Lindor was hit in the head by a pitch, actually hit off of his face uh, when he was squaring around a bunt. And the reason that he took such offense to that uh, is because he was the fourth Mets batter to get hit in the first 14 innings of the season against the Nationals. So uh, he felt that they were throwing at them. You know, four, four hit batters in 14 innings is quite a bit. Then the second bench-clearing incident was between the Milwaukee Brewers and the Chicago Cubs, and this happened over the weekend. Brewers outfielder Andrew McCutcheon was hit by a pitch after two Cubs players, uh, Contreras and Hap, had been hit by pitches earlier in the game. So the Brewers felt like this was retaliatory, and uh, McCutcheon took offense to that. Like I said, no fights, no punches thrown. Uh, It was just um, simply uh, bench-clearing to deliberate on how all that went down. Uh, Some American League news. Uh, Los Angeles Angels pitcher-slash-designated hitter Shohei Otani. He became the first player in AL slash NL history uh, to throw his team's first pitch of the season and face his team's first pitch of the season as a hitter. And he did take the loss as the starting pitcher in that first game of the year, but he pitched four and two-thirds innings. He only gave up one earned run and he had nine strikeouts in four and two-thirds innings. So it certainly wasn't. His fault that they lost the game. It was just simply lack of run support. But uh, nonetheless, Otani, after winning the American League MVP last year, uh, came out strong. He also had a a hit that had an exit velocity of 119 miles an hour, which was the fastest of his career uh, this past weekend. So he's putting the bat on the ball. And, uh, of course, we see what he can do as a pitcher as well. Uh, Cleveland Guardians, right? This still doesn't sound right. Uh, It should be Indians, but it's Guardians because we're in 2022 and we can't be uh, any bit mildly offensive to anybody. Uh, Cleveland Guardians rookie outfielder Stephen Kwan, he had himself quite the weekend. He became the sixth player since 1901 to record a five-hit game within the first three games of his career. He also finished opening weekend Uh, In in three games, he had an 800 batting average. He was 8 for 10. He had zero swings and misses on 58 pitches seen, which is insane. And uh, through four games, he was on base 15 times, which is the most times reaching base in your first four big league games since 1901. And he still, through four games, had not swung and missed at a pitch. So... That is, uh, that's very impressive stuff there by Stephen Kwan. Uh, National League, real quick, the Colorado Rockies. They're off to a pretty good start. They signed Chris Bryant to a huge contract. They actually have some underrated. Their rotation's very underrated pitching. Uh, headlined by Herman Marquez. Uh, but then you have a lineup uh, that features Ryan McMahon, Chris Bryant, You know, and so they they can hit the ball. C.J. Crone is another good batter in that order. Uh, They've gotten off to an impressive start. They took two of three at home against the Los Angeles Dodgers, which is the first home series victory against the Dodgers since August of 2018. So uh, Rockies also came down uh, to Texas the other day and beat the Rangers uh, in their home opener. So they're off to a good start. That NL West is already super competitive, so... Uh, I don't see the Rockies continuing this, but they are certainly off to a good start. And then the only team to remain undefeated through opening weekend was the Tampa Bay Rays. They won all three games against the Baltimore Orioles, who were the only team not to win a game through opening weekend. Uh, But Baltimore uh, did win the other night, so they are officially the last team to reach the win column. Uh, but nonetheless, we are uh, we're off and running here in Major League Baseball. Long season ahead of us. Uh, I don't necessarily want to do a standings update every single week. Uh, but they play you know six or seven games a week, so we may end up doing that. But for now, we just kind of recapped opening weekend. Uh, my Texas Rangers. You know they're not. They've only won once out of their first five or four games. Not not too impressive, but. They have been able to score some runs, so I do like that, but uh, yeah, we'll just keep keep uh, up to date with baseball as we go through the season, and like I said, plenty of games left. We're playing a full 162-game slate this year uh, as normal, so uh, we'll keep you up to date as we move along. But we'll head over to the National Basketball Association and do a playoff picture uh, here in the NBA. We have officially concluded the NBA's regular season. The playoffs are uh, already underway as the play-in tournament has officially started. We've had two of the play-in games be played uh, at the point that this is recorded. So we know a little bit more clearly who officially is in the playoffs uh, versus the play-in tournament. But last week, we talked about all 10 teams in each conference that were in the playoffs or play-in tournament. And how it works, basically, the top six seeds at the end of the regular season were automatically in the playoffs for each conference. Seeds 7 through 10 uh, participate in what they call a play-in tournament. Okay? The 7 and 8 seeds play each other, and the 9 and 10 seeds play each other. Whoever wins the 7-8 matchup moves into that official 7 seed of the playoffs, The loser of the 7 8 game goes to a third game in which they would play the winner of the 9 10 matchup. And then whoever wins that third game becomes the 8 seed in each conference. So we've already had the 7 8 matchups for each conference be played as of this recording. So the only seed, the only official seed that we don't know for each conference is the 8 seed. So we'll start off in the Eastern Conference. The 7 8 Matchup was the Brooklyn Nets and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Okay, and that game has already taken place. That was at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. And the Nets, they got up by uh, over 20 points. Looked like it was just going to be a boat race. But Cleveland outscored Brooklyn in the second half, third and fourth quarters, to kind of close the gap a little bit. Uh, the Nets ended up winning 115 to 108, thanks to uh, an unbelievable performance by Kyrie Irving. He had thirty-four points, twelve assists. He actually was nine of nine in the first half shooting. Uh and then Kevin Durant, of course, you know he's gonna show up. He added uh twenty five points of his own with eleven assists. So uh the two big dogs for Brooklyn showed up to play. And uh you know, it's it's gonna be tough to beat when those guys are shooting like they did. On the Cleveland side, Darius Garland, quickly becoming one of the top 15 players in the league. He had 34 points uh, to lead Cleveland. So uh, Brooklyn moves on to uh, the official seven seed in the East. Cleveland goes to that third game, third play-in tournament game in the East. So Cleveland is going to face the winner of the 9-10 matchup, which is the Atlanta Hawks and the Charlotte Hornets. The game will be in Atlanta My prediction is that Trey Young and the Atlanta Hawks move on in this one. Uh, I just think they have too much uh, firepower to not beat Charlotte, especially at home. So give me the Hawks to beat the Hornets. That would set up uh, Atlanta versus Cleveland, and that that would be a toss-up. It'll be interesting to see how that game plays out. I wouldn't be surprised if if Atlanta beat Cleveland, but I think the way that Darius Garland and Evan Mobley – continue to play i think the Cavs would would win i think the Cavs are going to be your number eight seed so here's how the eastern conference looks and i'll just kind of give you a brief synopsis and a a playoff series prediction uh, for these series Uh, the top overall seed in the eastern conference miami heat they're going to play the eight seed which is going to be either cleveland atlanta or charlotte depending on who wins that third game Okay, so I think the Heat, um, I, the Heat have been the best team in the East pretty much most of the year. Uh, they won the conference by two games, so uh, I'm I'm obviously going to take Miami regardless of who they play at this particular point. I'm taking Miami to win that first round series in five games. Number two seeded Boston Celtics play the number seven seed Brooklyn Nets. Okay, Brooklyn's in that spot because of the way they won that play-in-tournament game. Uh, this is the second year in a row that both of these teams are meeting in the first round. Brooklyn won the series in five games last year. Um, I feel like Brooklyn being a seven seed right now uh, with, with the, where they are at and getting Kyrie Irvin back uh, every game now instead of just road games, I, th- I feel like Brooklyn as a seven seed is, is almost fraudulent. Like it's it's kind of cheating in a way. Uh, because if if Kyrie Irving had been able to play in all of their home games for a um, majority of the year, then they certainly would be better than a seven seed and then of course, you got ben Simmons uh where the hell's he been? hasn't played since the trade hasn't played all year uh he's quickly becoming the most expensive cheerleader in the n b a uh and then you know Kevin Durant, obviously with Kyrie Irving, that duo is probably the best in the league, honestly. Uh, But the way that Celtics have played all year, I certainly would not count them out. Um, I do think that Brooklyn is going to win this series. I, I think Brooklyn is going to win it in, Uh, I think this might go seven. Uh, give me the Nets to win that series over Boston in seven games. The three-seed Milwaukee Bucks play the number six-seed Chicago Bulls. Uh, I don't think this is going to be very close. Uh, the, the Bulls have had a really good year. DeMar DeRozan might be able to steal a game from Milwaukee, uh, but the Bucks are your defending NBA champions. They uh, have Giannis, Antetokounmpo, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday. That's just too much for Chicago to overcome. Uh, I like the Bucks in six in this one. I think DeRozan... Um, can maybe do enough to keep it competitive for the first four or five games, but uh, I think the Bucs are going to win this series in six games. Then the 4-5 matchup in the East, the number four seed Philadelphia 76ers against the number five seed Toronto Raptors. Uh, Joel Embiid for the Philadelphia 76ers. He might very well be the league MVP this year. <clears throat> and then, of course, you got James Harden. Um I don't see that team losing in 7 games to Toronto. Uh but you never know. Uh I I you know Philly has home court advantage obviously as the 4 seed. I think Philly I don't think this series is going to be as close uh as as some people might think. Toronto was really hot down the stretch. They were one of the hotter teams to close out the year over the last month, but give me Philadelphia to win that series. In five games, that Embiid-Harden combo is just too much. But we'll flip it over to the Western Conference, okay? The play-in tournament games, number seven, Minnesota Timberwolves took on the number eight seed Los Angeles Clippers. That game was at the Target Center in Minneapolis, St. Paul. And the uh, Timberwolves actually came out on top. The game was kind of back and forth. Um... In that first half, but Minnesota came out on top with a 109 104 victory in that one over the Clippers. And in doing so, Anthony Edwards led the way for Minnesota. He, like uh, Darius Garland, is becoming one of the top players in the league, top young players for sure. Anthony Edwards had 30 points, uh, D'Angelo Russell had 29 points. So those two guys. Scored half the points there for for Minnesota, and that was really all they needed um, because they were very impressive, uh, especially on the defensive end. Uh, Carl Anthony Towns, he only had 11 points, but that's all they needed. So uh, on the Clippers' side of things, Paul George led the way with 34 points, and that was pretty much all they got from the Clippers' side of things. Uh, But nonetheless, like I said, Minnesota moves on. So Minnesota is officially your 7th seed in the West. The Clippers move on to that third game. And what's the matchup for the 9-10 game in the West? Number 9 is the New Orleans Pelicans. Number 10, the San Antonio Spurs. So the winner of the Pelicans spurs game will play the Clippers in that third playoff game. And whoever won that game, whoever wins that game, is going to move to the number 8 seed. Okay, so my prediction is that the Pelicans, with uh, Brandon Ingram and CJ McCollum, they beat the San Antonio Spurs to move on uh, and play the Clippers. And then I do believe that the Clippers are going to beat the Pelicans to move into that eight spot in the West. But whoever gets that eight spot it doesn't really matter because you play the Phoenix Suns. Okay, They are the defending Western Conference champions. They are the team that won 64 games this year, and they are not getting beat in the first round by any of those three teams. So Phoenix, we do know that they're at this point, as of this recording, they're going to play either the Clippers, the Pelicans, or the Spurs. I don't like any one of those teams more than I like Phoenix. So Give me the Phoenix Suns to win that opening series in five games. The 2-7 matchup in the West, number two Memphis Grizzlies against number seven Minnesota Timberwolves. This is an exciting series. Of course, on the Memphis side, you have Ja Morant, certainly one of the most electrifying players in the league. He's had a fantastic year. Uh, And then on the Minnesota side of things, like I just mentioned, Anthony Edwards. Uh, You have two premier offensive players in this league going head-to-head. Memphis is legit, though. Uh, they won 56 games this year. Uh, they're going to have home court advantage. Uh, I think Minnesota wins a couple of games in this series, uh, but I like Memphis to move on in six games in that series. The 3-6 matchup in the West, number three, Golden State Warriors, against the number six, Denver Nuggets. Uh, I, this series is very interesting, You know, Golden State didn't have Klay Thompson for the first few months of the year, uh, and he's come back and he's picked up right where he left off. I think he finished the game with, or finished the year with three straight games of over thirty points. Uh, Then you pair him with Steph Curry, Draymond Green is back. He had missed a couple months almost with a back injury, so the the Warriors can fire on all cylinders. Uh, but the Denver Nuggets, of course, they have Nikola Jokic, right? And that is uh, – he's also in the MVP conversation. So, um, you know, Aaron Gordon, those guys. So uh, I, I'm i not going to pick against Golden State, not when you have the best shooter in the history of the NBA and Steph Curry. So uh, give me Golden State to win this one, but I do think this one uh, could go six – Games we'll give Denver a couple wins there. Give me Golden State in six, and then uh, the final series in the Western Conference, the four-five matchup. Number four is the Dallas Mavericks. Number five is the Utah Jazz. This series, um, the Dallas Mavericks, of course, my my favorite team, hometown team. They they've played really well this year. Fifty-two wins this year for first-year head coach Jason Kidd. It's very impressive. They got rid of Chris Stapp's Porzingis, got in Spencer Dinwiddie at the trade deadline, and that proved to be the ultimate revelation, really. Uh, Dinwiddie has come in and just been an absolute monster. Uh, I didn't think the Mavs would get better by losing Porzingis, but they absolutely did. Uh, Luka Doncic is still playing at an unbelievably high level, certainly a top-five player in the NBA. The problem in this series is Luka Doncic's health. In the last game of the season, over the weekend, Luka Doncic suffered a sprained calf muscle, So, or strain, rather. He has a calf strain, Okay, which the average amount of time for a mild calf strain, the average amount of time missed is 16 games, or 16 days, rather. So um, that could potentially make Luka miss the first series entirely, which... I think if the Mavericks don't have Luka Doncic in this series, I think the Jazz win because they, you know, Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley, I, you know, that Rudy Gobert, those three uh, are certainly capable of putting the beat down on the Mavericks without Luka. It's been reported that Luka's going to play in this series, at least in the first game. So we'll see how that goes. If here's my Here's my prediction, all right, and I'm not just trying to be a – a homer here. If Luka Doncic plays and he's relatively healthy, okay, uh, I think the Mavericks win the series. I can certainly see the series going seven games if that's the case. So I like the Mavericks in seven, assuming Luka's healthy or relatively healthy. But if Luka misses a couple of games or the entire series, uh, the Utah Jazz are going to win this thing in six Uh, which will be another disappointing first-round exit for Dallas. This is the year, I think, Dallas, out of the last several that they've made the playoffs, I think this is the year the Mavericks can actually advance. Uh, They've played well against the Jazz this year, um, but they got their hands full, uh, certainly, with with Luka's health. So certainly keep an eye on that. But um, if if Luka's healthy, give me the Mavs in seven. If Luke is not healthy, give me the jazz and six. That's kind of where I'm at with that. But, um, yeah, more playing games happening probably already happened by the time you listen to this. But we at least know uh, the matchups for the first round, and I gave you some predictions. So we'll check back in uh, next week to see how those predictions are looking. But we'll move over to the National Hockey League, do a standings update here. Uh, the regular season is winding down. The last day of the regular season in the NHL is Friday, April 29th. Uh, most teams have either eight or nine games left in their season as of this recording. Uh, we know who the eight playoff teams in the Eastern Conference will be. The Western Conference is getting a little bit more narrowed down. I think there's really only about three teams that are in contention for those two wild card spots. But we'll just do the standings update it's a wild card standings update, which means we'll give you the top three teams in each division plus the two wild card teams. In the Eastern Conference, the Metropolitan Division, the Carolina Hurricanes are up top with 104 points. Uh, they are a absolute buzzsaw. Would not want to see them in the playoffs. Uh, they're firing on all cylinders. Uh, the New York Rangers are second in the Metro with 100 points on the dot. They've officially. Both of those teams, the Hurricanes and the Rangers, have clinched a playoff spot. Uh, Rangers forward Chris Kreider, he scored his 50th goal of the season this past week, making him only the fourth New York Rangers player to ever score 50 goals in a season. The other three to do that were Yaramir Yager, Adam Graves, and Vic Hadfield. All right, So pretty elite company there for Chris Kreider. A big reason as to why the Rangers have played as well as they have this year. The third team in the Metro at the moment, the Pittsburgh Penguins at 95 points, so I, I certainly see them staying either in that third spot, possibly slipping to a wild card spot depending on how Washington does uh, in their last nine games, but uh, Pittsburgh forward Sidney Crosby, he hit the 1,400 point plateau in just his 1,100th game, so far more than a point per game over his 1,100 game career. Uh, he's the seventh player. Fastest player to reach 1,400 career points behind Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, Marcel Dion, Phil Esposito, Yarmir Yager, and Steve Iserman. So very elite company there. Definitely not a surprise to see Crosby uh, on that list. But the Penguins, uh, they only, you know, the the Capitals have two games in hand on Pittsburgh, and they're uh, three points back currently as it sits. So Pittsburgh may fall to a wild card spot. But the Hurricanes and Rangers are certainly going to be the top two teams in the Metro. Over in the Atlantic Division, the Florida Panthers, they have 110 points. They've won eight in a row, nine out of their last ten. Very well. Uh, They've been the best team in the Eastern Conference all year, and I think they'll finish the year as such. Uh, Certainly would not want to see them either uh, in the playoffs. Uh, The Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, the Panthers have clinched a playoff spot. So too have the Toronto Maple Leafs. Maple Leafs are sitting currently at 100 points. They've won seven out of their last ten. Austin Matthews scored his 56th goal of the season this past week, which breaks the record for the most goals in a season by an NHL-born skater. He also is the first player to score 51 goals in a 50-game span at any point during the season since Mario Lemieux did it back in the 1995-1996 season. So terrific year for Austin Matthews. He had a 16-game point streak that was snapped the other night. Uh, at home against Buffalo but nonetheless the Leafs are uh, in the playoffs the third team in the Atlantic is the Tampa Bay Lightning two-time defending Stanley Cup champion they have 96 points they're four points behind Toronto I can see them catching Toronto they're definitely not catching Florida so uh, Toronto and Tampa are pretty much going to be battling it out both of them have played uh, 73 games at this particular point those two will battle for second and third in that division, and uh, second will get home home ice advantage in that series because they would end up playing each other in the first round. The two wild card teams, the first wild card team, the Boston Bruins, ninety five points. Uh, they're pretty much. I mean, I can see they they could technically catch Tampa in the Atlantic uh, at ninety six points, but. Uh, I just think Tampa is probably going to stay in that top three in the Atlantic. But Boston could squeeze up there. The second wild card team is the Washington Capitals. They have 92 points. Again, they're three points back of Pittsburgh for that third spot in the Metro. Um, but Boston and Washington lo- are looking likely to be uh, wild card teams, although Washington has won four in a row. So they uh, are looking good at the right time. Over in the Western Conference, the Central Division, Colorado Avalanche, are the only Western Conference team to officially clinch a playoff spot. They have 110 points. Uh, They've won six in a row, eight out of their last ten. I believe them to be the best overall team in the NHL outside of Florida. Uh, Florida is right up there with them, but I think Colorado uh, has a little bit more talent. So uh, they're going to win the Central. They're going to be the top overall seed in the West. Second in the Central is the Minnesota Wild. Uh, They've won seven out of their last ten, have 96 points. They're still 14 points back of Colorado. Uh, But the moves that they've made at the trade deadline have certainly paid dividends. The Wild are a good team, definitely going to be a hard out in the playoffs. The third-place team in the Central is the St. Louis Blues. They have 96 points as well, tied with Minnesota. Minnesota has two more uh, wins at the moment. But the Blues are hot. They've won eight out of their last ten, six in a row. Uh, certainly think they're going to be uh, making some noise as well, although the Wild and the Blues look like they're on a crash course to play each other in the first round, so that would be very interesting. Uh, Pacific Division, first place is the Calgary Flames. They have 99 points, uh, which they've won five in a row, seven out of their last ten. Um, they lost Sean Monahan for the year, but Johnny Goudreau, has been absolutely outstanding this year. He just eclipsed 100 points in 73 games, making Goudreau only the second U.S.-born player to reach 100 points in a season in the last 25 years. The only other U.S.-born player to do that in the last quarter century is Patrick Kane, and he did that in the 2018-2019 season. So I think the Flames are going to win the Pacific Division Second place in the Pacific, the Edmonton Oilers. They have 90 points. Uh, they went through a rough patch earlier this year before they uh, fired Dave Tippett, and uh, they I think they're solidly in the playoffs uh, at this point. They've won seven out of their last ten. They have two of the best five players in the league in Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. Uh Dreisidel has over 50 goals as well for Edmonton. So they're good. Uh, third place in the Pacific right now, the Los Angeles Kings with 88 points, all right? They got some bad news though because uh, de- defenseman, assistant captain Drew Doughty, he underwent season-ending wrist surgery, all right? It was successful, so he'll be ready to go for next year, but LA will not be with uh, with him in their lineup there the rest of the year, which is a huge blow considering they are currently in that three spot in the Pacific. Um, uh, definitely going to be tough to advance very far in the playoffs without your best defenseman, one of your best players. Two wild card teams at the moment: Nashville Predators are in the first wild card spot with eighty nine points, and then my Dallas Stars. They are second wild card at the moment with eighty eight points. Uh, Ryan Souter, defenseman for the Stars, scored his one hundredth career goal, making him the sixteenth born. Uh, U.S. born defenseman to reach a hundred goals. The only, uh, there's only three other active U.S. born defensemen that have reached a hundred goals. Uh, and uh, Ryan Souter took a while to get there, but he is not known for his offense. Certainly more for his defense. But the Stars, uh, Scott Wedgwood, in huge win the other night uh, against the Tampa Bay Lightning at home, a one nothing shutout victory for Dallas. That was a massive two points on home ice. Scott Wedgwood is three zero and one in his first four starts as uh, Dallas' backup goalie. Um, you probably don't, if you're not a Stars fan, you probably don't know who Dallas's goalies are, but Jake Ottinger and Scott Wedgwood have been playing really well. Uh, Ottinger, second half of the year, has, has been probably a top five or six goalie in the league. Um, I think the Stars, uh, they're, they're three points clear of the Vegas Golden Knights, who are at 85 points, first team out of the wild card at the moment. All right, so Vegas is three points back of L.A., for that third spot in the Pacific. And they're three points back of Dallas for that second wild card spot. Dallas, as it sits at this moment, has a game in hand on Vegas, which could turn out to be huge. Now, interesting note about Dallas. They're the only team in a playoff spot with a negative goal differential for the season. Stars are minus two in goal diff for the entire year and still in the playoffs, which is ridiculous. Um... But Stars keep finding a way to get it done. And like I mentioned, I've talked all year about how the Stars, they're not making the playoffs. They always let me down. But how it's looking right now and the schedule that they have in front of them, very winnable games coming up. Majority of their last nine are at home. I definitely think the Stars are are in contention. I don't think they're going to catch St. Louis or Minnesota uh, because they'd have to bypass Nashville as well, who's a point in front of them uh, to move into that central playoff spot. But uh, I do believe at this particular point, the Stars have given me enough here lately. The addition of Scott Wedgwood ha- has been something that was much needed to provide goaltending depth behind Jake Ottinger. So uh, I do like the Stars to make the playoffs at this particular point. Uh, three points clear of Vegas, and um, it just uh, it's going to come down to winning the games that you should win, which I think Dallas can do with their remaining schedule. But nonetheless... Uh, next week's episode, we should uh, have a much more clear picture uh, of the playoffs and where we're at, so we'll we'll keep you updated at that time. But we'll move on to our segment called Around the Island. That's where we do some quick news topics from across the various sports. We'll start off in the National Football League. We've got a few uh, contract extensions and re-signings to go over. The first one, which is the biggest one, was the Las Vegas Raiders. They have re-signed quarterback Derek Carr to a three-year, $121.5 million extension. It's an average annual value of $40.5 million. So you can add Derek Carr to the list of the $40 million quarterbacks. Now, I don't necessarily think Derek Carr is worth that money. I don't think he's that level of quarterback. But uh, some people can say that for the quarterback of my favorite team, which would be Dak Prescott. I think Dak is certainly in the conversation, more so than Derek Carr. But, uh, you know, that's $40 million seems to be the going rate for any quarterback that's in the top 10 or around the top 10 overall in quarterback rankings. So uh, Carr is tied to Vegas for the next few years just as wide receiver Devontae Adams is. The Houston Texans, they have re-signed wide receiver Brandon Cooks to a two-year deal, averaging about $20 million per season. Uh, you know, Cooks has not had a whole lot of success there in Houston for obvious reasons. Uh, $20 million is kind of the cheap end now for a, for a wide receiver one with the contracts that we've seen handed out here this offseason. Uh, there was rumors originally that Cooks was going to get traded, but that does not appear to be happening. The Baltimore Ravens, they have re-signed defensive end Colias Campbell to a two-year, $12.5 million deal. Campbell's a six-time Pro Bowler, and uh, with where he's at in his career and his age, uh, I would assume that these next two years in Baltimore would be his last two in the league. And then the most interesting signing came to us via the Philadelphia Eagles. They have signed former Oregon wide receiver and Team USA Olympic hurdler, devin allen to a three-year contract now devin allen is 27 years old he has not played football uh, at least competitively since 2016 when he was at oregon he was a wide receiver for the ducks obviously a, a burner fast guy uh devin allen has finished fifth and fourth in the 110 meter hurdles in the past two olympic games so He's obviously a natural runner, sprinter. He's fast. Uh, if he still has his ability to run routes and and use that speed, I think he could probably be a pretty decent weapon for the Eagles. Uh, you know, he hasn't played football since 2016, so it's going to take a lot to get him up to speed in terms of, uh, you know, the NFL receivers and their ability to block and and run routes and stuff like that. But, Uh, i think it's interesting i think it could potentially be a home run hit for philly if it doesn't take allen a while to get up to speed on that Uh, over in the national hockey league real quick a few episodes ago i mentioned that the 2023 nhl winter classic is going to be held at fenway park in boston that's this next season starting in the fall Uh, of course the, uh, the Winter Classic is going to be held on January 2nd of 2023. It'll be played at Fenway Park. And the only thing we didn't know was who the Boston Bruins would be playing. But this past week it was announced that the Pittsburgh Penguins are going to be the Bruins' opponent in that game. Uh, this has got to be Pittsburgh's fourth Winter Classic, it seems. Maybe third or fourth Winter Classic for the Penguins. Uh, they seem to be kind of in it every other year, every couple of years. So, uh, Pittsburgh and Boston are going to face off in the NHL's Winter Classic next winter. Major League Baseball: We had uh, a trade that went down. San Diego Padres they acquired starting pitcher Taylor Rogers and Brent Rooker from the Minnesota Twins in exchange for starting pitcher Chris Paddock and outfielder Emilio Pagan. Uh, Rogers was a very good pitcher last year for the Twins. Uh, he should help solidify that Padres rotation which is probably one of the better ones in baseball. Then on the Twins side of things, Chris Paddock. He had some interesting comments after he got traded. He mentioned how uh, he didn't like playing in San Diego anyways and that the brown uniforms made him look like he worked for UPS. So you could tell there was maybe a little bit of hostility there with Paddock. Uh, A couple of contract extensions to go over in baseball as well. The Pittsburgh Pirates, they re-signed their young third baseman Cabrian Hayes. To an eight-year 70 million dollar extension uh hayes is really young really athletic good player Uh, this he's been playing really well to start this season kind of had a little bit of a down year last year but uh, he is now tied to pittsburgh for the next eight years the seattle mariners they've re-signed their shortstop jp crawford to a five-year 51 million dollar extension extension that's a good signing it's relatively cheap for a for a you know, above-average shortstop. Atlanta Braves, they've re-signed second baseman Ozzie Albies to a seven-year, $35 million extension. That is a really good deal for the Atlanta Braves. Uh, Albies, obviously, is a key piece to that team, certainly was a key piece to their World Series last year, and getting your starting second baseman, who's uh, top-flight second baseman in the league, defensively and offensively, uh, for $5 million a year, that is a very, very team-friendly deal. Uh, just the MLB in general this season. There's a lot of good, elite, young talent this season. Probably more so than we've ever seen before. You know, we we talk about guys like, you know, Juan Soto from the Nationals, who's you know, 22 years old, uh, been in the league a few years. Well. Detroit Tigers third baseman Spencer Torkelson. He was the first overall pick in the draft two years ago. He was born in 1999. He got his first big league hit uh, this season off of Boston Red Sox pitcher Rich Hill, who was drafted into the MLB in 1999. So that's just crazy to think about. And Torkelson's not even the youngest player in the league. There's several other guys uh, CJ Abrams from the Padres, Julio Rodriguez. Uh, from the Mariners, you know, those guys are all, they're born in 2000. So there's just a lot of good young talent in the league. There's only 10 players uh, that were on opening day rosters in Major League Baseball that are age 39 or older, which 39 is still, that's pretty old for for a professional athlete these days. But um, you can see that there's not a whole lot of older players. Uh, So the youth movement in Major League Baseball is in full swing, probably more so than uh, any of the other major four pro sports. Uh, National Basketball Association. Some news there. Los Angeles Lakers, they've announced that they fired head coach Frank Vogel. And this is not a surprise. After the Lakers missed the playoffs this past year, just an absolutely horrid season, you cannot miss the playoffs with a lineup that features LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And that's not even mentioning Russell Westbrook. Now, Westbrook, play, he played completely horrible this year. Uh, Anthony Davis was always hurt. I get it. And then LeBron also battled some injuries. Uh, it's the fewest games he's played in a season in a while. So uh, I get they had some difficulties, but at the end of the day, uh, if you can't even make the play-in tournament uh, in the Western Conference, that means you weren't one of the ten best teams. You have to, The top ten teams made either the playoffs or the play-in tournament. And with the roster the Lakers have, they certainly have one of the 10 best rosters. They did not have one of the 10 best records. So uh, no surprise there to see Vogel get fired. Something needs to change. And I would fully expect that Russell Westbrook is not a member of the Los Angeles Lakers come next season. Meanwhile, Phoenix Suns head coach Monty Williams was voted as the NBA's coach of the year for the second straight season after he led the Phoenix Suns to... 63 wins and the top overall record in the league so uh, opposite sides of the spectrum there not sure what his contract situation looks like but I'm sure if he hasn't already been extended he is certainly due for an extension now I found this stat interesting uh, for regarding the NBA this season there were only five players in the NBA this season who played in every single regular season game so these five guys played in all 82 games this season. Washington Wizards uh, forward Denny Avidza, Detroit Pistons guard Sadiq Bey, uh, Phoenix Suns guard or forward, I guess, Mikhail Bridges, uh, Golden State Warriors center Kevon Looney, and Dallas Mavericks forward slash center Dwight Powell. Uh, that is the fewest number of players Uh, to play in all 82 games in a season in NBA history. So it's normally that we see a lot more than five guys play in all 82 games in the NBA, but this year was the fewest in NBA history. Now a quick side note on Phoenix Suns player Mikael Bridges. He actually has not missed a game in his entire four-year career in the NBA thus far. He's played in all 331 out of the 331 possible games he could have played in which is impressive. And then you look at his college career at Villanova. He also played in 116 out of 116 possible games at Villanova. So the dude is just a lineup lock, uh, certainly not an injury issue with him. If he's got something, he'll battle through it. Those are the kind of dudes that you want on your team. Not to mention he is very skilled. So... um you know, I, I've mentioned this before, the best, avail- uh, best ability is availability, and those five this year certainly have been the best uh, available players. Uh, over to college hockey. We don't usually talk about college hockey a whole lot, but the uh, NCAA's Frozen Four took place this last week. It's ice hockey's equivalent to the Final Four in basketball. Uh, University of Denver Pioneers beat the Michigan Wolverines 3-2, to two in a absolutely thrilling overtime game, while the Minnesota State Mavericks just spanked the Minnesota Golden Gophers 5-1. So that set up your national title game of Denver versus Minnesota State. And right before that game, uh, Minnesota State goaltender Dryden McKay, he was announced as the 2022 Hobie Baker Award winner as the NCAA's most outstanding player. All right, so uh but then the, then came the national championship game and in that game between Denver and Minnesota State Dryden McKay and the Mavericks they looked very solid uh McKay took a shutout into the third period but then about uh 3 minutes into the third period Denver scored to tie it at 1 they would add another one shortly thereafter to grab a 2 to 1 lead and then Uh, Then the floodgates opened. They did score one more on McKay to go up 3-1. That forced Minnesota State to pull McKay earlier than they would. Denver added two empty net goals to win the national championship by a score of 5-1. All five of those goals were scored by Denver uh, in that third period. This was uh, the Pioneers' ninth national championship in program history, which is uh, very impressive. And uh, after this Frozen Four, there were a few of the high-profile players that announced that they were signing their entry-level contracts into the NHL and leaving their universities. Uh, The three big ones came from uh, the University of Michigan. Three of their five players, uh, three of the top five picks in the NHL draft this past year, uh, Owen Power was the top overall pick in the draft. He signed his entry-level deal with the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, number two overall pick in the NHL draft, Matty Beneers. He signed his entry-level deal with the Seattle Kraken, and he actually had an assist in his very first NHL game. And then the number five overall pick from this past year's draft was Kent Johnson from the Columbus Blue Jackets, and he signed his entry-level contract and made his NHL debut uh, earlier this week as well. So all three of those, those guys were from Michigan. And then uh, Denver Pioneers forward Bobby Brink. He was uh, instrumental in that uh, run to the championship there by Denver. He uh, led the NCAA in points this year. He signed his entry-level contract after they won the national title. Uh, his is with the Philadelphia Flyers. He also recorded an assist in his first NHL game, just like Matty Beneers. Uh, what a week for that kid, huh? Win a national title in college, sign your entry-level contract, and then go get an, an assist in your first NHL game. Uh, So it's pretty impressive to see these kids make the jump straight from college hockey right up to the NHL in the same week. Um, So very impressive there. A few quick notes from college football, just a couple notable transfers from the portal. Former five-star quarterback J.T. Daniels, he has transferred to West Virginia. This is his third school in the last three years after uh, flaming out at Georgia and USC. Lost a starting job. Uh, in both of those situations certainly not how he envisioned his college career going after a very successful uh, high school career and then another five star this one's a running back kamar wheaton he's transferring from alabama over to smu Uh, he was one of the top ranked running backs in the country a year ago coming out of high school basically wasted his freshman year at alabama kind of got into some trouble in the program Uh, but kamar wheaton is a local product here in the dallas fort worth area he's from garland and he went to Lakeview Centennial High School. So uh, him coming to SMU is a homecoming of sorts, and I presume that he will slot in as the running back one for SMU come fall. Uh, Over to the PGA Tour real quick. Quick note here, I forgot to mention with Scotty Scheffler, his fourth victory, his last six events. uh, In that time frame, or in the first half of the season thus far, he's already earned more money so far this year in this half of the season than Jack Nicholas, Arnold Palmer, and Gary Player all earned in their entire careers. So I know the dollar has changed, obviously, and, you know, Scheffler got over $2 million for winning just the Masters, and same thing with the World Golf Championship a couple weeks before that. But, you know, we're talking about three of the best players of all time, most decorated players between Nicholas Palmer, and Player, right? I mean, outside of Tiger, those are the three best players to ever play the game. And Scotty Shuffler's won more money than all of them ever did in their entire careers. And he did that in just a half of a season. So that's pretty crazy to think about. And then the final piece of uh, news in Around the Island is kind of a a somber mood here. This past weekend, Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback, former first-round NFL draft pick Dwayne Haskins Jr., was tragically killed when he was hit by a dump truck on a highway in Florida. He was trying to cross the highway, I believe it was around 6.30 in the morning, Uh, He was either going to or coming from a workout with some other Steelers players. I think Mitchell Trubisky, the new Steelers backup quarterback or starting quarterback, perhaps, uh, arranged this trip for workout workout for for some players there in Florida. And Dwayne Haskins was one of the players, and he was either on his way to or coming from when he uh, attempted to cross the highway and got hit by a dump truck. So he was pronounced dead on the scene, and Haskins was uh, just 24 years old definitely a tragic event Uh, you know I'm sure everybody's got a lot of questions as to why this happened and how it could have been prevented but I'm sure as time goes on we'll get more info on that but for now uh, definitely a tragic event and um, hopefully the Steelers can can cope together as a team and not let it affect them as they go into their offseason but that's going to wrap up the 71st episode of Sports Island uh, you know, another busy weekend here. Major League Baseball's and you know, off and running. Plenty of good matchups there. Uh, NBA playoffs, the play-in tournament is wrapping up this week and uh, at the end of the week, and then the playoffs officially start on Saturday. So be sure and tune into that. And, of course, we have some NHL hockey this weekend uh, as the season wraps, wraps up and uh, we get these playoff races figured out. But uh, we'll check back in next week uh, with another good episode for you. Thanks for listening to the Sports Island Podcast. Be sure and find it on Facebook at Sports Island Podcast. I'm Rick Mitchell, and I'll catch you next time right here on the Sports Island Podcast, which is available everywhere you listen to podcasts.